You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can go ahead and follow us on Facebook as well. You can like us. It's Locked On Women's Basketball. And I would urge you to go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Remember, reviews are always a good thing. The more five-star reviews we get from you guys, the further up the charts we move and the more visible that both the show and women's basketball as a whole will be. So I would urge you to do both of those things. If you like the show, would very much appreciate it. Uh, I am joined tonight uh, by Gabrielle Levine, who is the star when it comes to evaluation of women's basketball. Pleasure to talk to you, Gab, and obviously we have some very important WNBA news to discuss. Thanks for having me, Howard. place I guess we should start is by giving the listeners a sense of exactly what happened today. Two o'clock in the afternoon, after uh, a an announcement via her Twitter feed that Angel McCautry would have some important news, uh, she put out a letter to my amazing fans. I love the game of basketball very much. It has given me an incredible new hometown here in Atlanta and provided amazing opportunities on the world stage. Since the beginning of my senior season at University of Louisville, I have played a continuous year-round schedule with no off-season. Think about that for a minute. There's, since 2009, that's essentially a 96-month season. Uh, goes on to talk about the fact that she has decided to take time off during the 2017 WNBA season. Uh, let's start with that in terms of the specifics of it. It's not very specific. Yeah, it's, she left it pretty up in the air whether she was going to be taking the entire 2017 season or what some have already interpreted as, which is only part of the 2017 season which is similar to what we saw Candace Parker do in 2015. Yeah, it's interesting. There's two models for this in recent times. There's the Candace Parker model, and then there's the full Diana Taurasi. Diana, of course, took off the entire 2015 season. You know, look, there's certainly no secret that the league is never thrilled about it when it happens. Uh, it's certainly disappointing just from a personal perspective as someone who A, loves covering Angel McCautry and B, absolutely loves watching her play to know that there's a portion of the year that she would be taking off. But we were talking about this a little bit off the air before and you pointed out it's a particularly good time for her to be doing that in terms of where she is personally. Yeah, you know, my initial reaction when I saw this was just good for her because like you said, they she has not had an off season yet. And you really have to put that into context. She gets drafted by the Dream in 2009, number one overall. In that time period, she's been playing for eight years. She went to the 2010 FIBA World Championship, the 2012 London Olympics, the 2014 FIBA World Championship, the 2016 Rio Olympics. She's been to the WNBA Finals three times in that time frame she's taken her team to the playoffs I mean and she's been going overseas back and forth for seven months out of year so when you really think about that you say to yourself wow this has been almost a decade around the year basketball for Angel you know for me I'm tired just thinking about it and of course 
the yeah. real the reality of it is it isn't just that she's been playing full time. She's playing like Angel McCautry full time. <coughs> right. Excuse me, which is on the offensive end, on the defensive end. A, a do-it-all kind of player, someone who has not had a tremendous amount of scoring help when it comes to uh, her time you know, with the Dream, and someone who never takes a playoff. So from that perspective, it's not just a 96-month season. It's a 96-month season max effort. And so I, I agree with you. I, I absolutely believe these players have to take control of their own careers to the extent that they can. Uh, when you look at the WNBA as a whole, there's not a tremendous amount of freedom and flexibility for various reasons. You know, if you look in the CBA, there are issues as it relates to how long it takes to become a restricted free agent, then an unrestricted free agent, and even unrestricted free agency is in some ways a myth because players can get cored by the team year after year. So the net result, of course, is we're looking at a year with at least partially no Angel McCautry. So initially, you know, you're the Atlanta Dream. What are you left with in terms of a strategy for how to operate in the 2017 season? They said all the right things, uh, as they should have, of course. But where does that leave the Atlanta Dream now here on the court? Well, it leaves them, I think we all know, it's going to leave them in a tough spot. Um, and, you know, that's not... The, we can't say it in a way that almost guilts Angel McCautry out of sitting out the season because, right. in my opinion, she has every right to and she deserves to. She's earned it at this point. But where it leaves the team up until now is in a place where they're without her star, their star player. Because Angel McCautry, we all know, is the centerpiece on that team. But you've also got to consider in 2015, the Phoenix Mercury lost Diana Taurasi for an entire season, they still fared pretty well. But I would argue that Phoenix had more veteran players to rely on than the Dream has. Well, think about and it so, this way. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and I mean, I was also going to bring up, Howard, how the LA Sparks handled it. Mm-hmm. They didn't fare so well until Candace Parker came back in 2015 i think they ended their season in 2015 14 and 20 yeah and, and most of those what, wins and came 14, right right and yeah. most of those wins came when candace parker came back and so i have a feeling that we might see something similar from the dream this year well what'll be fascinating about it is the ambiguity of the statement makes you wonder well if the if the dream truly have this nightmarish season and they are out of the playoff race which is a greater possibility under the new playoff format than LA was under the old playoff format. That LA team at 14 and 20, don't forget, made the playoffs uh, because at that right. time it was the top four in the West, top four in the East. Now it's the top eight teams, period. And so there's less margin for error. And there's less of an ability to get off to that kind of start and still make the playoffs. Atlanta last year was 17 and 17. That's with Angel McCautry playing about as well as she as she always does. I mean, you look at her consistency year after year, and it's just remarkable. Player efficiency rating is right around 23, right year, year after year, which is, I believe, 14th all-time uh, in WNBA history. She's someone who does it, like we talked about before, at both ends. But even with Angel McCautry being very much herself, 
they were, if you looked at offensive efficiency, uh, 11th in the league last year. 11th out of 12. Defensive rating was 4th out of 12. But that is suddenly an offense that needs to make up for the absence of Angel. And, I mean, look, you look at their leading scorers after Angel. It's Tiffany Hayes, uh, it's Elizabeth Williams, and it's Lacia Clarendon, who uh, is very underrated, in my opinion, incidentally, but is not none of those three strike you necessarily as a number one scorer uh, on a playoff team. Well, the good news about this, at least if there, there is a silver lining is that in times like this, you often do see players step up in a way that maybe you wouldn't have seen them step up before. And so maybe this could be the chance with angel sitting out that and Tiffany Hayes is an incredible athlete and an incredible player. And we've seen her come out in games and have a really big offensive impact on the floor. And so I wouldn't put it past her to come out in the 2017 season and just have an explosive season. I could see her doing that. But again, I think that it really just puts the dream back where the Sparks were in 2015 without their star player, without their leading scorer. I mean, if you look at their playoff win this year, Angel McCautry, you could pull up that game and it's like an Angel McCautry highlight reel. Mm-hmm. It She played what 33 minutes i think and scored 37 points it's a remarkable and she's thing. done that numerous times time and time again in the playoffs she has four of the top seven scoring playoff games in WNBA playoff history when you take a player like that off of your team it's going to take them for in my opinion at least a significant amount of time just to learn how to play without her I, I think you're right. I, I will also say in terms of stepping up, one one player I'd look to do that is Bria Holmes, who has a world of talent, be entering her second year, and has an opportunity to really take a step forward. And, and look, they'll, they'll need her to do it. Uh, they, they have, what, the number seven pick in the draft this year. And right. when you think of the players who are historically drafted seven, they're not the type of players who step in and can be your number one scorer uh, in year one. And so that's not where it's likely to come from. And, and we'll get more into this next week, but free agency does not, especially if you look at the unrestricted list, does not offer the type of number one scorers who could come in and, and not replace Angel, but even, let's say, do an Angel impression for a period of time. So, it, I, I mean, that, that's a difficult thing to ask of anyone. Uh, given that she's, you know, one of the seminal figures in the league over this past uh, decade. But at the same time, there are no real easy answers. And I would just point out, when you look at L.A., yes, they were without Kansas and they struggled, but they had Neko Dwumake there. You know, yes, Diana Taurasi was out for the year, but Brittany Griner, of course, is a generational talent in and of herself. And and nor was she alone in terms of uh, the type of players that, Phoenix had to at least pick up the slack. So it, it really is a difficult situation for Atlanta. Uh, and, and you almost wonder if at some level they're not better off. I, I don't mean to get all Philadelphia Sixers Sam Hinkie on you here, but to turn around and uh, go ahead and say, all right, this is not uh, the season that we're going to contend. Let Angel get healthy. Let Angel get uh, as rested as she wants to be. Let her get married, uh, which would be wonderful. Let her open up her ice cream shop. And I look forward to coming down to Atlanta and trying some. And then let's see what kind of number one pick they can have 
uh, going into 2018, if Kelsey Mitchell stays in school, for instance, uh, there's an opportunity to potentially get a star to pair with Angel. Because let's not forget, Angel McCautry's 30 years old. Angel McCautry mm-hmm. should have, uh, as, as long as, uh, and here's hoping, she stays healthy the way she's been, she should have many good years ahead of her, all the more so because she had a chance to rest this year. Right. I mean, they could potentially, with a, re- a low record this season, a losing season, they could potentially land a high draft pick, like you said. But I'm not sure. If I'm not mistaken, Howard, I think that the number one pick is based off of the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. I'd have to double check on it that. Is, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not positive with where they wound up this past season, the 2016 season at 17 wins, 17 losses that they'd get the number one pick. Oh, and but it's, I think it's that still a lottery. Even, even, okay, e- right. even once you get that in terms of the weighted average, it is still a right. lottery. It is by no means a sure thing. I, I guess I just right. compare it to, all right, what can you expect out of the right. Atlanta dream absent angel for whatever it may be half the season, two thirds of the season, Whatever whatever she chooses to take off, that is asking a lot uh, for them to stay in contention without her. Right. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is a player who is more important to their roster than Angel is to the Atlanta Dream. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly across the board. I think that there are many Angel-like players players but she really stood out especially this past season I mean she finished second team all WNBA there were a lot of people who argued LaChina Robinson being one of them that she should have been first team all WNBA that's the kind of performance that she had Mm -hmm. all season long she's just a game changer and she's definitely going to be missed on that team and if that vote had taken place prior to her game against Seattle in the playoffs I wonder if that would have been enough to put her over the top (laughs) Well, so let's talk bigger picture about this. Uh, in terms of Angel taking this time off, uh, Michelle Vopel from ESPNW was talking about this earlier today that, look, this is just sort of baked into the WNBA experience right now. And the WNBA uh, pays well, relatively speaking, uh, in terms of the higher end, the, uh, the top players make uh, in the low six figures, uh, but that will pale in comparison to the amount of money that they can make overseas and so seeing players take time off and see that time disproportionately be for WNBA years rather than uh, off-season overseas years seems like it's something that's not going to change anytime soon do we think that it is problematic for the league my personal view is there are so many stars in this league that unless it started happening in mass it's not something that is going to lead to more than just, you know, a, a low-level headache of a PR problem. But how do you see it? Well, I don't know if problematic is the right way to put it, but I would say that for fans, certainly, for fans of these teams and these franchises, it is problematic hmm. because that's the player that they sign up to see each season. Yeah. They go to these games to see Angel McCautry play. They go to the games to see Diana Tarasi play they go to the games to see Candace Parker but we had this conversation back in 2015 Howard when Diana Tarasi chose to sit out in 2015 it was a different circumstance we saw her have an opportunity that no player really had ever had which was 
Diana, we're going to pay you $1.5 million in Russia, but you're going to sit out the WNBA season. And she had been playing since 2004, season round, no offseason for over a decade, and she chose to sit out the WNBA season. We saw Candace Parker sit out for rest. And it's just been continuous. And I think that we're going to see it happen time and time again. People said in 2015, this isn't the end of it. This is only going to continue. And I remember that at the time, Kate Fagan wrote an article in 2015. She said, the WNBA has a salary structure problem. And we see that it's evidenced best by what's happening to Diana Taurasi this season. And it's only going to continue if it doesn't change. And so is it is it problematic for fans? I would say yes, it is problematic for fans. Is it reality nonetheless? It is, because unless something changes with the salary structure as it stands right now, players will have to continue going overseas to earn a sustainable livelihood and to play seven months out of the season. And, and of course, I'm talking about the high end of things, uh, but players on the rookie contract make far less than that. Uh, The great Amani Boyette, who is a must-follow on Twitter, is... Uh, talked eloquently about this and so for them it's a very different issue and and what does that mean that means the players on the rookie contracts are getting particularly worn down during a period of time in their uh, early to mid-20s uh, and that will have an impact on length of careers and things of that sort but it also has an impact on players ability to work on things within their games so I, I will never forget after uh, the New York Liberty got knocked out of the playoffs last year uh, by the Indiana Fever. I guess that's officially the year before now, if we're uh, officially in 2017. And I'm talking to Tina Charles about the things she wanted to work on. And, of course, she said there are things she definitely wants to work on, but she's going to be at the mercy of whatever her team in China tells her to work on. And so it has an impact in terms of player development as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you could you can kind of go both ways with that. Like we saw like a player like Jewel Lloyd go overseas last season and come back incredibly improved. But then you take it out. Okay, they're going one year, two year, three years, and then it builds and you blink and it's 10 years later and they've been traveling around the world playing basketball and player like angel like i said before she hasn't just been playing for the wnba and overseas she's been competing for usa basketball for years now and when you take into account all of the team camps she's had to go to the fiba world championships she's had to go to it's just a tremendous amount and i mean like you were saying the the rookie salaries right now as they stand for me it was really eye-opening when we heard the news of the new nba cbi we heard about D-League salaries and that they were expected to rise. And unless anything has since changed since December, the talk was that a two-year rotation contract was going to be 75000 for the NBA D-League. Mm-hmm. Now, comparatively, you look at right now in the WNBA CBA, picks one through four, we're at $50,617 for the first-year season. So we're talking... Brianna Stewart, Mariah Jefferson, Morgan Tuck, and Rachel Bannum are at 50,617 for their first season. And it, that number doesn't change that much in the first three seasons of play. No, and, I, I, I once had a WNBA talent evaluator point out to me that the biggest bargain in WNBA history 
was Maya Moore's value delivered on her rookie contract and for just that reason. Right. And I mean, you compare that to, you know, there's so many differences, of course, between the NBA D League and the WNBA. But when you look at those numbers, it's eye opening. And even for Angel McCautry, I think that her max salary this year for a veteran player would have been $113,500. Right. And like you said, is that a good number? It's a good number. But when you compare it alongside of what NBA players are making, it's absolutely incredible. And you also have to remember, you take someone like LeBron James this season, um, you know, James Harden, they chose not to go to Rio. They kind of had that option because they needed the offseason. They needed rest. But on the other hand, you see these WNBA players not having that similar opportunity to get rest unless they, they're forced into making a decision like Angel McCautry has to make this season. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And look, you, you could argue that players like LeBron James are underpaid in and of themselves just because the NBA salary cap has artificially driven down the salaries of the top players. Even under the new CBA, that's true. Uh, but... They are, there. look, no shortage of WNBA players who would dearly love and deserve to be underpaid like that. Uh, and right. the reality is that that will change when you see revenue increase in the league commensurate with it. And obviously there were some good signs along those lines this year, whether it's attendance up 4.9% or TV ratings being up 11%. Long way to go. Uh, in order to get to where we all want it to be. But those are the numbers I think you have to look at in terms of what it will take for the WNBA to get from there to where we want it to be. So it'll be fascinating to see, and I'm hopeful, obviously, that that will continue, that that was not a one-year blip, but in fact a trend. So in terms of another way to structure the salaries, I, I know Tate Faden had an interesting conversation, a piece about this back in 2015 about an alternate scenario. Take me through it, uh, if you would, and, and give me your thoughts on the potential advantages and pitfalls involved. Well, what Kate Fagan had argued in 2015 when Diana Taurasi made her decision to sit out was that we should take another look at the salary structure as it stands today with the max salary caps um, per team, per specific players. And in 2015, I think that number, um, the top that a player could earn max was 107000 on any roster in the league. And, and her argument was she looked through each team and she found that close to 40 players were earning the max across the league, which put about each team having maybe three to four players earning max. And what she was saying was that, are there really close to 40 players across the league that are as valuable to teams as Diana Taurasi is? Should we be allowing that many players to be earning the max salary? Or alternatively, should we perhaps uh, reduce that number and therefore provide for a player like Diana Taurasi to maybe earn more on her team and prevent her from having to go overseas every season? And that argument is definitely valid, I think, but it puts you in a situation where you might have a team like Minnesota 
But you might have a team like Seattle where you have Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd. You still have these teams out there where you have multiple big-name players. And I think that no matter what, you're going to end up in a situation where ultimately someone's going to be underpaid. Well, it'll be a squeezed middle class. And the NBA is actually going through something really similar with that right now where there's been a lifting of the max salaries and players at the top, uh, people like LeBron James, are able to get more. And there's a real open question as to where that's going to leave the middle class of NBA player. And you could very well see that to a significant extent on the WNBA side. Uh, I'm sure Kate would argue, and I understandably so, that the most important thing is to keep, retain, and keep happy your biggest stars. But I think it's a difficult thing, and it's a difficult thing to argue, especially in this league where there's a smaller number of total players, where it's very important that you have some rough parity between the teams. I don't know that it's such an easy answer either way. Yeah, I I really, if I knew the answer, I'd provide it, I'd say it, but I'm not too sure what the answer is at this point. I I, I think the same is true for Lisa Borders and the WNBA as well. Well, listen, it's going to be fascinating, and here we are just a few days into 2017 and have a lot of adventure and drama already going on. Uh, WNBA, uh, even though it only happens on the court a few months of the year, Uh, is a year-round proposition, and so I am always excited and happy to discuss it with you. Thanks for having me, Howard. Anytime, Gab. And this is just a reminder to our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook, LockedOn Women's Basketball, and you can go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Uh, I'm just going to once again remind you, Please review, if you like the podcast, review it on iTunes. It shoots us up the lists, I am told, and will give people more of an opportunity to hear these stories as it relates to women's basketball, something that's very important to me and I'm sure very important to you as well. Uh, Well, that's it for now. We'll have uh, many more exciting guests in the coming days. Really looking forward to each and every one of them. I am Howard Meddow, wishing you a very good night.